Hello and welcome to today's episode of The Quad Shot, where we help you down and digest the day's most pertinent cancer news. It's August 17, 2020. Welcome to The Quadcast. First up, cutting the risk. So let's talk lymphedema. Lymphedema is all caused by radiation, right? Well, not even close. Study after study has had trouble scapegoating radiation as a major contributor to lymphedema risk in women with breast cancer. This prospective lymphedema screening trial, as published in the Journal of Clinical Oncology 2020 by Noam et al., looked at over 1,800 women at MGH who were treated for invasive breast cancer. Lymphedema here was defined as a 10% increase in arm volume at least three months after surgery. Lymphedema risk was compared among patients who had sentinel lymph node biopsy without regional nodal irradiation, sentinel lymph node biopsy with regional nodal irradiation, axillary lymph node dissection without RNI, and axillary lymph node dissection with RNI. The cumulative incidence of lymphedema at five years for each group was 8%, 11%, 25%, and 30%. So as you can see, once again, the type of axillary surgery and not the addition of axillary radiation was most strongly associated with developing lymphedema. Looked at another way, radiation increases the relative risk of lymphedema by 20 to 35%, while a full dissection increases that risk by over 200%. This all poses the provocative question of which therapy offers the best therapeutic ratio in the setting of post-mastectomy sentinel node positivity, completion dissection, adjuvant radiation, or neither. The bottom line is, increasing the risk for lymphedema shouldn't be a huge deterrent to recommending adjuvant radiation and, in fact, should be a big reason to continue foregoing full axillary dissections whenever it's safe to do so. Up second, typical. A minority of patients with atypical WHO grade 2 meningiomas receive adjuvant radiation. In fact, an NCDB analysis has shown that fewer than 25% of patients get adjuvant radiation. That same analysis, though, showed that adjuvant radiation was independently associated with better survival. The problem is historically poor data to guide adjuvant therapy and the desire to quote-unquote defer the adverse effects of radiation. In EORTC 22042-26042 and RTOG 0539, WHO grade 2 meningiomas had greater than 90% control at 3 years when adjuvant radiation was used. Two ongoing trials are comparing adjuvant radiation with observation for gross totally resected atypicals. Here, is a large analysis of outcomes from patients managed at MGH with surgery, followed by either surveillance or radiation. 
In line with national trends, 22% received adjuvant radiation. And as you would expect, there was a selection bias towards adverse features among those receiving radiation. Only one-third of radiation patients had a gross total resection, compared to three-fourths of those who didn't get radiation. Despite those differences, the rate of progression or recurrence was lower and time to progression was longer after radiation as compared to observation, with a rate of progression with radiation of 24% as compared to 36% without. Among observation patients, 36% received salvage radiation, which you could postulate might be just as good of an option, but it wasn't here. Outcomes for salvage patients were inferior to those who were treated up front. The adjuvant radiation benefit persisted out to 10 years with an approximately 10% absolute improvement in progression-free survival at 5 and 10 years. Importantly, though, there was no improvement in overall survival. The bottom line is, upfront adjuvant radiation for atypical meningioma, regardless of resection and without selection bias, reduces the risk of recurrence and time to progression, even when accounting for salvage radiation. Thanks to Lee et al., Red Journal, 2020. Up next, stoking the flames. Osimertinib is the preferred first-line or maintenance therapy for patients with advanced EGFR-mutated non-small cell lung cancer. Because consolidative or palliative chest radiation may be used at some point, what's the risk of radiation pneumonitis with concurrent chest radiation and osimertinib? Well, this small, n equals 11, retrospective study, as published by Gia et al. in the Green Journal 2020, suggests you should use caution. Nearly two-thirds of patients treated with chest radiation concurrent with osimertinib developed at least grade 2 pneumonitis, and nearly half had grade 3 pneumonitis. The bottom line is, a high rate of pneumonitis should be weighed against the potential benefits of concurrent osimertinib with thoracic radiation. Up next, becoming. The benefit of adding bevacizumab to Fulfox for patients with initially unresectable liver metastases from RAS mutated colorectal cancer is uncertain. In the BECOME trial, 241 such patients received modified Fulfox 6 with or without the addition of bevacizumab. The idea here was to convert patients to resectable without increasing surgical complications. Adding bevacizumab increased the response rate from 37 to 55%, which resulted in a significant increase in R0 resections, taking it from 6 to 22%. In addition, there was a significant increase in both progression-free and overall survival. The bottom line is, in the BECOME trial, Adding bevacizumab to modified Fulfox 6 increased the resection rate and improved survival outcomes for patients with initially unresectable, RAS-mutated, colorectal cancer, liver metastases. Thanks to Tang et al., 
JCO 2020. Up next, no small matter. The debate over the need for prophylactic cranial irradiation and even whole brain radiation altogether for small cell lung cancer continues to grow. JCO 2020 publishes a great article by Russ Tobin summarizing the thoughts of many leaders in the CNS arena, as well as the available data describing outcomes for focal therapy for limited small cell lung cancer brain metastases. One should also take note of important changes in the language of the NCCN guidelines for small cell lung cancer that is very favorable to the future of focal therapy. Up next, small time. In this study of nearly 500 patients receiving long-course chemoradiation for locally advanced rectal cancer, the volume of small bowel receiving 30 gray, also known as the V30, was the single best predictor of late grade two and three toxicity. Importantly, small bowel was contoured as individual loops, not a bowel back, and it excluded large bowel. The dose volume threshold with a less than 5% risk of late grade 2 plus and grade 3 plus GI toxicity was V30 less than 100 cc's and V30 less than 200 cc's, respectively. Thanks to Abraham, Practical Radiation Oncology 2020. Up next, simulated sim. A Siemens-sponsored, I think we should get ready to hear that phrase a whole lot more, Danish feasibility study demonstrates it is indeed feasible to generate a synthetic CT from an MRI-only SIM that produces plans with dosimetric parameters within 1% of actual CT-based plans for the same patients. Thanks to Olin et al., Red Journal, 2020. Finally, free parking. At a median of $2 per hour and $5 per day, parking isn't free at the majority of NCI-designated cancer centers. But shouldn't it be? Thanks to Lee, JAMA Oncology, 2020. This concludes today's episode of The Quad Shot. If you like what you've heard, please consider giving us a five-star rating and subscribing to our podcast. Also, check out our website at www.quadshotnews.com and subscribe to our newsletter. We'll catch you next time.